Hello, and welcome back to Tangents on Cracked Spines. I appreciate you all coming back, especially as I uh, am a little late with this episode. If you're new, I would suggest going back five episodes uh, to the beginning of this story. As always, listener discretion is advised, as there are adult themes. We are currently reading H.G. Wells' The Invisible Man, and we last left off with The Invisible Man, still nameless. Everybody else has a name. He's still nameless. 36% of the way through the book. And yes, I will continue to harp on that. And he has been completely terrible to Mr. Marvel, the hobo he picked up, uh, to try and do his dirty work. Um, yeah, there. That's pretty much everything. Um, him being terrible to Mr. Marvel. That was the last episode. Uh, I did end with him, uh, Mr. Marvel taking refuge in a bar and there happening to be a police officer and an American in it. And of true to form, the American was gun happy trying to shoot in the backyard of the bar somebody he can't see. So, they are currently attempting to look for him. Because, you know, that's the great thing about shooting an invisible person in the dark. Not that shooting an invisible person in the daylight would help in it either. He's invisible. So they're hoping to find blood, though. Or trip over him. One of the two. Anyways... I did not just blank on how to read uh, Roman numerals. Chapter 17 Dr. Kemp's Visitor Right. Sorry, I was trying to figure out who Dr. Kemp was. They gave a little synopsis of him going, Why is that chubby tramp... Uh, talking to himself as he hustles oddly down the roadway and then went back to his work. Dr. Kemp had continued writing in his study until the shots aroused him. Crack, crack, crack. They came one after the other. Hello, said Dr. Kemp, putting his pen into his mouth again and listening. Who's letting off revolvers in Burdock? What are the asses at now? Alright. Also, um... It's kind of hard to be yelling at somebody with a pen back in your mouth. He went to the south window, threw it up, and leaning out, stared down on the network of windows, beaded gas lamps and shops with its black interstices of roof and yard that made up the town at night. 
Looks like a crowd down the hill, he said, by the cricketers, and remained watching. Thence his eyes wandered over the town to far away, where the ship's lights shone and the pier glowed, a little illuminated uh, faceted pavilion like a gem of yellow light. The moon in its first quarter hung over the westward hill, and the stars were clear and almost tropically bright. After five minutes, during which his mind had traveled into a remote speculation of social conditions of the future, and lost itself at last over the time dimension, Dr. Kemp roused himself with a sigh, pulled down the window again, and returned to his writing desk. Wow. This is a small marine town. What the blazes is... Are the... Uh, who the blazes is shooting in my town? Oh, look, there's a crowd. Eh, not my problem. I mean, to be fair, anybody who's lived in a city uh, does that. And anyways, but, um... From what it suggests is that that's not normal for this particular area. It must have been about an hour after this that the front doorbell rang. He had been writing slackly with intervals of abstraction since the shots. He sat listening. He heard the servant answer the door and waited for her feet on the staircase, but she did not come. "'Wonder what that was,' said Dr. Kemp. "'He tried to resume his work, failed, got up, "'went downstairs from his study to the landing, rang, "'and called over the balustrade to the housemaid "'as she appeared in the hall below. "'Was that a letter?' "'Only a runaway ring, sir,' she answered. "'I'm restless tonight,' he said to himself. "'He went back to his study and this time attacked his work resolutely.' I wonder whereabouts the Invisible Man is in his house. In a little while, he was hard at work again, and the only sounds in the room were the ticking of the clock and the subdued shrillness of his quill. I've owned quills. I've used quills. I don't really consider that a shrill sound. Hurrying in the very center of the circle of light, his lampshade threw on his table. It was two o'clock before Dr. Kemp had finished his work for the night. He rose, yawned, and went downstairs to bed. Well, that's unusual. Normally people go upstairs to bed. He had already removed his coat and vest when he noticed that he was thirsty. He took a candle and went down to the dining room in search of a siphon and whiskey. I mean, that's not really how you deal with thirst, but sure. Dr. Kemp's scientific pursuits have made him a very observant man, and as he recrossed the hall, he noticed a dark spot on the linoleum near the mat at the floor of the stairs. He went on upstairs and then it suddenly occurred to him to ask himself what that spot on the linoleum might be. 
Apparently, some subconscious element was at work. That is an actual line. That was not me. At any rate, he turned with his burden, went back to the hall, put down the siphon and whiskey, and, bending down, touched the spot. Without any great surprise, he found it had the stickiness and color of drying blood. Okay, so I understand no surprise at what the liquid is, being a trained doctor. Theoretically a medical doctor? But shouldn't you be surprised that there is blood on your floor? He took up his burden again and returned upstairs looking about him and trying to account for the blood spot. Oh, there we go. He did. He is looking. On the landing, he saw something and stopped astonished. The door handle of his own room was bloodstained. He looked down at his own hand. It was quite clean. And then he remembered that the door of his room had been open when he came down from his study and that, subsequently, he hadn't touched the handle at all. He went straight into his room. Because that sounds safe. You've noticed weird things happening all day. You heard uh, gunshots earlier. There was a crowd around it. And now there's blood in your house. And you're like, let's go straight into my room without so much as a cricket bat. Or his quill. His face quite calm, perhaps a trifle more resolute than usual. I would hope so. His glance, wandering inquisitively, fell on the bed. On the counterpane was a mess of blood, and the sheet had been torn. He had not noticed this before because he had walked straight to the dressing table. On the further side, the bedclothes were depressed as if someone had been recently sitting there. Then he had an odd impression that he had heard a low voice say, Good heavens, Kemp! But Dr. Kemp was no believer in voices. True, but oh goody! Someone the Invisible Man knows, so theoretically we might learn the Invisible Man's name. Almost halfway through the book. But also, if he's bandaging a blood wound, that would suggest that you will see a walking bandage. A floating bandage. Because if his clothes show up and he doesn't, then a bandage would too. So that'll be helpful. He stood staring at the tumbled sheets. Was that really a voice? He looked about again, but noticed nothing further than the disordered and blood-stained bed. Which is enough reason to raise alarm, dude. It's not your blood. Then he distinctly heard a movement across the room near the washhand stand. 
wash hand, not hand wash. All men, however highly educated, retain some superstitious inklings. The feeling that is called eerie came upon him. He closed the door of the room. Yes, lock yourself in with the spirit. Came forward to the dressing table and put down his burdens. I didn't realize he still had anything in his hands. He had gone, set his stuff down on the dressing table, then decided he should go check what that uh, dark spot was. It was blood. Realized his bedroom door was open. His hands didn't have that much blood on them. That to match the handle. That there, there's nothing in his hand right now. Unless he sat down at the dressing table and the burdens is his ass. Suddenly, with a start, he perceived a coiled and blood-stained bandage of linen rag hanging in mid-air. Hey! I said it would happen. Between him and the washhand stand. Which is still a weird way to put that. He stared at this in amazement. It was an empty bandage. A bandage properly tied, but quite empty. He would have advanced to grasp it, but a touch arrested him, and a voice speaking quite close to him. Kemp, said the voice. Eh? Said Kemp, with his mouth open. Keep your nerve, said the voice. I'm an invisible man. As though people get that every day. Kemp made no answer for a space, simply stared at the bandage. Invisible man, he said. I am an invisible man, repeated the voice. The story he had been active to ridicule only that morning rushed through Kemp's brain. He does not appear to have been either very much frightened or very greatly surprised at the moment. Ah, uh, yes, yeah, shock is a great uh, number of emotion. Realization came later. I thought it was all a lie, he said. The thought uppermost in his mind was the reiterated arguments of the morning. Have you a bandage on? he asked. Yes, said the invisible man. Oh, said Kemp, and then roused himself. I say, he said, but this is nonsense. It's some trick. He stepped forward suddenly and his hand, extended towards the bandage, met invisible fingers. He recoiled at the touch, and his color changed. I would think so. Kemp, steady Kemp, for God's sake, I want help, badly. Stop. The hand gripped his arm. He struck at it. Kemp, cried the voice. Kemp, keep steady. The grip tightened. Well, he hasn't hit him yet. Which, for the invisible man, seems to be, you know, keeping a rein on his emotions. A frantic desire to free himself took possession of Kemp. The hand of the bandaged arm gripped his shoulder, and he was suddenly tripped and flung backwards upon the bed. Oh, nope, there he goes. He got violent. He opened his mouth to shout, and the corner of the sheet was uh, thrust between his teeth. Ew, the sheet has blood on it. That's gross. 
The Invisible Man had him down grimly, but his arms were free and he struck and tried to kick savagely. Listen to reason, will you? said the Invisible Man, sticking to him in spite of a pounding in the ribs. My dude, what is reasonable about a bleeding invisible man knowing your name and throwing you to your bed, holding you down and shoving a bloody sheet in your mouth? This guy legitimately has no sense of empathy. By heaven, you'll madden me in a minute. Lie still, you fool, bawled the invisible man in Kemp's ear. Also, any hope of me finding out his, uh, name is dwindling. Kemp struggled for another moment and then lay still. If you shout, I'll smash your face, said the invisible man, relieving his mouth. Yes, that's exactly the way you ask for help, you idiot. I'm an invisible man. It's no foolishness and no magic. I really am an invisible man. And I want your help. I don't want to hurt you. But if you behave like a frantic rustic, I must. Don't you remember me, Kemp? Griffin of University College. Ooh, we did get a name. But also, hey Kemp, do you remember me, the Invisible Man? It's like that uh, scene in Hotel Transylvania. Don't you recognize your uncle? I have literally never seen you. Back in the new one, where the, all the monsters turn human. He literally can't see you, ergo he can't recognize you. Yes, he has heard your voice, but he's still reeling at the fact that there is a bleeding invisible figure touching him and in his bedroom. <clears throat> let me get up, said Kemp. I'll stop where I am and let me sit quiet for a minute. Yeah, let the shock wear off. He sat up and felt his neck. I am Griffin of University College. Maybe that's not redundant in England, but in America, University College is um a little bit redundant. And I have made myself invisible. I am just an ordinary man, a man you have known made invisible yes because everyone just goes around making themselves invisible you can't hear it but i i rolled griffin said kemp griffin answered the voice a younger student almost an albino oh so he was pale as hell before he went invisible Six feet high and broad, with a pink and white face and red eyes. That's not almost albino, honey. 
You are albino. And a hella tall one at that. Must be nice to be invisible for a ch and not be the center of attention for a change. Cause you can't tell me that he wasn't gawked at. No wonder he's violent. Anyways, who won the medal for chemistry? I'm confused, said Kemp. My brain is rioting. What has this to do with Griffin? I am Griffin. Kemp thought. It's horrible, he said. But what devilry must happen to make a man invisible? It's no devilry. It's a process, sane and intelligible enough. It's horrible, said Kemp. How on earth? It's horrible enough. But I'm wounded and in pain and tired. Great God, Kemp. You are a man. Take it steady. Give me some food and drink and let me sit down here. Now mind you, Kemp has actually read the newspaper and knows that the Invisible Man is wanted for stealing off of a vicar. And beating up half of a small town. So giving him some food and drink is not the same thing to do unless you're using it to distract him to call the constable. Anywho's. Kemp stared at the bandage as it moved across the room, then saw a basket chair dragged across the floor and came to rest near the bed. It creaked, and the seat was depressed the quarter of an inch or so. He rubbed his eyes and felt his neck again. This beats ghosts, he said, and laughed stupidly. That's better. Thank heaven you're getting sensible. Or silly, said Kemp, and knuckled his eyes. Give me some whiskey. I'm near dead. It didn't feel so. Where are you? If I get up, shall I run into you? There, all right. Whiskey, here. Where shall I give it to you? The chair creaked and Kemp felt the glass drawn away from him. Yeah, what kind of jerk asks for the person to serve him when he's invisible? Oh wait, we've discovered that this guy is a complete jerk. And, I mean, I get why at this point. Six-foot-tall albino, anywhere, is going to stick out like a sore thumb and be bullied. And then you go invisible. Yeah, no. I understand the rage issues. He needs a therapist. Except therapy really wasn't a thing at this point. Isn't that weird that that's such a new phenomenon, therapy? Anyways. <clears throat> he let go by an effort. His instinct was all against it. It came to rest poised 20 inches above the front edge of the seat of the chair. 
He stared at it in infinite perplexity. This is, this must be hypnotism. You have suggested you are invisible. Nonsense, said the voice. Yes, as though being hypnotized to believe the person is invisible is less believable than the person actually being invisible. It's frantic. Listen to me. That's all he can do, honey. I demonstrated conclusively this morning, began Kemp, that invisibility... Never mind what you've demonstrated. I'm starving, said the voice, and the night is chilly to a man without clothes. Food? said Kemp. Yes, that what your brain should rest on is that the invisible man needs food and not the fact that he is sitting in your furniture buck-ass naked. The tumbler of whiskey tilted itself. Yes, said the invisible man, wrapping it down. Have you a dressing gown? Kent made some exclamation in an undertone. He walked to a wardrobe and produced a robe of dingy scarlet. This do? he asked. It was taken from him. It hung limp for a moment in midair, fluttered weirdly, stood full and decorous, buttoning itself, and sat down in his chair. Drawers, socks, slippers would be a comfort, said the unseen curtly, and food. Anything, but this is the insanest thing I ever was in in my life. He turned out his drawers for the articles and then went downstairs to ransack his larder. He came back with some cold cutlets and bread, pulled up a light table, and placed them before his guest. Never mind knives, said his visitor, and the cutlet hung in midair with the sound of gnawing. That's disconcerting. Invisible, said Kemp, and sat down on a bedroom chair. I always like to get something about me before I eat, said the invisible man with a full mouth, eating greedily. Queer fancy. Well, no... I suppose that wrist is all right, said Kemp. Trust me, said the invisible man. What about you suggests trusting you? Anyways. Of all the strange and wonderful, exactly. But it's odd I should blunder into your house to get my bandaging. My first stroke of luck. Anyhow, I meant to sleep in this house tonight. You must stand that. It's a filthy nuisance, my blood showing, isn't it? Quite a clot over there. Gets visible as it coagulates, I see. I've been in the house three hours. But how's it done? Began Kemp in a tone of exasperation. Confound it. The whole business. It's unreasonable from beginning to end. Quite reasonable, said the invisible man. Perfectly reasonable. 
Why are you still calling him the Invisible Man? We now know his name. It's Griffin. Took you bloody long enough, but we know his name. He reached over and secured the whiskey bottle. Kemp stared at the devouring dressing gown. A ray of candlelight penetrating a torn patch in the right shoulder made a triangle of light under the left ribs. What were the shots? he asked. How did the shooting begin? There was a rule real full of a man, a sort of confederate of mine, curse him, who tried to steal my money. Has done so. Is he invisible too? No. Well, can't I have some more to eat before I tell you all that? I'm hungry, in pain, and you want me to tell stories. Well, considering he's currently talking to a dressing gown that is bleeding and eating, yes. Kemp got up. You didn't do any shooting, he asked. Not me, said his visitor. Some fool I've never seen fired at random. A lot of them got scared. They all got scared at me. Curse them. I say, I want more to eat than this, Kemp. I'll see what there is to eat downstairs, said Kemp. Not much, I'm afraid. After he had done eating and he made a heavy meal, the invisible man demanded a cigar. Not your house, honey! You'd still have all your things if you weren't such an ass. He bit the end savagely before Kemp could find a knife and cursed when the outer leaf loosened. It was strange to see him smoking. His mouth and throat, pharynx and nares, became visible as a sort of whirling smoke cast. The blessed gift of smoking, he said and puffed vigorously. I'm lucky to have fallen upon you, Kemp. You must help me. Fancy tumbling on you just now. I'm in a devilish scrape. I've been mad, I think, the things I've been through. But we will do things yet, let me tell you. He helped himself to more whiskey and soda. Kemp got up, looked about him, and fetched a glass from his spare room. It's wild, but I suppose I may have a drink. You haven't changed much, Kemp, these dozen years. You fair men don't. Cool and methodical after the first collapse. I must tell you, we will work together. But how was it done? Said Kemp. How did you get like this? For God's sake. Let me smoke in peace for a little while. And then I will begin to tell you. I don't know. Sounds like you're putting it off. Let me get dressed first. Let me eat first. Now let me smoke. <coughs> Now don't get me wrong, I can understand not wanting to be just standing there naked as the day you were born. And I can understand needing to eat, but smoking is not a necessity. I mean, yes, nicotine is addictive. But you're in his house. But the story was not told that night. Told ya. 
The invisible man's wrist was growing painful. He was feverish, exhausted, and his mind came round to brood upon his chase down the hill and the struggle about the inn. Oh yeah, he's had a cold this entire time. I forgot about that. And then doing all that running, naked and barefoot with a cold and the chill, and then getting shot. Yeah, he's in pretty bad shape. I forgot he had a cold. He's still rude. He spoke in fragments of Marvel. He smoked faster. His voice grew angry. Kemp tried to gather what he could. He was afraid of me. I could see that he was afraid of me, said the Invisible Man many times over. Is it really easier to type the Invisible Man than to say Griffin? <clears throat> he meant to give me the slip. He was always casting about. What a fool I was. My dude. He watched you, like, beat up half the town. You're invisible. And, yeah, he's gonna be slinking about. What did you expect? He was a professional homeless guy. don't have anything against that came out wrong but like he was scared of you he had every right to be scared of you the cur I should have killed him where did you get the money asked Kemp abruptly the Invisible Man was silent for a space. Oh, look, something can shut him up. I can't tell you tonight, he said. Yeah, because you'd call the constable. He groaned suddenly and leant forward, supporting his invisible head on invisible hands. Kemp, he said, I've had no sleep for near three days, except a couple of doses of an hour or so. I must sleep soon. Well, have my room. Have this room. But how can I sleep? If I sleep, he will get away. Ugh, what does it matter? What's the shot wound? Asked Kemp abruptly. Nothing, scratch and blood. Oh God, how I want sleep. Why not? The invisible man appeared to be regarding Kemp. Because I have a particular objection to being caught by my fellow man, he said slowly. Kemp started. Fool that I am, said the invisible man, striking the table smartly. I've put the idea into your head. Chapter 18. The Invisible Man Sleeps. Exhausted and wounded as the Invisible Man was, he refused to accept Kemp's word that his freedom should be respected. He examined the two windows of the bedroom, drew up the blinds, and opened the sashes to confirm Kemp's statement that a retreat by them would be possible. Outside the night was very quiet and still, and the new moon was setting over the down. Then he examined the keys of the bedroom and the two dressing room doors. 
to satisfy himself that these also could be made an assurance of freedom. You're the one who committed the crimes! Hell, you bullied this guy into giving you shelter. Finally, he made him... He expressed himself satisfied. He stood on the hearth rug and Kemp heard the sound of a yawn. I'm sorry, said the invisible man, if I cannot tell you all that I have done tonight, but I am worn out. It's grotesque, no doubt. It's horrible. But believe me, Kemp, in spite of your arguments of this morning, it is quite a possible thing. I have made a discovery. I meant to keep it to myself. I can't. I must have a partner. And you. We can do such things. But tomorrow. Now, Kemp, I feel as though I must sleep or perish. Kemp stood in the middle of the room, staring at the headless garment. I suppose I must leave you, he said. It's incredible. Three things happening like this, overturning all my preconceptions, would make me insane, but it's real. Is there anything more that I can get you? Only bid me good night, said Griffin. Hey, finally used his name. Good night, said Kemp, and shook an invisible hand. He walked sideways to the door. Suddenly, the dressing gown walked quickly towards him. Understand me, said the dressing gown. No attempt to hamper me or capture me or... Kemp's face changed a little. I thought I gave you my word. I'm trying to figure out whether it would be more or less intimidating to have a six-foot man or a floating dressing gown come and threaten you. Kemp closed the door softly behind him, and the key was turned upon him forthwith. Then, as he stood with an expression of passive amazement on his face, the rapid feet came to the door of the dressing room, and that too was locked. Kemp slapped his brow with his hand. Am I dreaming? Has the world gone mad, or have I? I don't know. Have you had any mushrooms? I mean... Sorry, that was terrible. Also, he's sick, he's exhausted, and yet he still has the energy for angry outbursts and threats. He laughed and put his hand to the locked door, barred out of my own room by a flagrant absurdity, he said. He walked to the head of the staircase, turned and stared at the locked doors. It's fact, he said. He put his fingers to his slightly bruised neck. Undeniable fact. But he shook his head hopelessly turned and went downstairs. Is his office on the third floor? Or did H.G. Wells forget that he, in the previous chapter, 
he went downstairs to go to his bedroom. And now, out of his bedroom, he's going downstairs again. Whatever. <clears throat> he lit the dining room lamp, got out a cigar, oh, he's finally smoking his own scars, and began pacing the room at Now and then, he would argue with himself. Invisible, he said. Is there such a thing as an invisible animal? In the sea, yes. Thousands, millions. All the larvae, all the little nupulae, and... Tornarius, all the microscopic things, the jellyfish, they're still not really that invisible. In the sea, there are more things invisible than visible. I never thought of that before. And in the ponds, too, all those little pond life things, specks of colorless translucent jelly. But in the air? No! It can't be. But after all, why not? If a man was made of glass, he would still be visible. His meditation became profound. The bulk of three cigars had passed to the invisible or diff diffused as a white ash over the carpet before he spoke again. Did, did he let his cigars burn on the carpet? I know it's your own house, but dang little self-respect. Then it was merely an exclamation. He turned aside, walked out of the room, and went into his little consulting room and lit the gas there. It was a little room because Dr. Kemp did not live by practice, and in it were the day's newspapers. The morning's paper lay carelessly opened and thrown aside. He caught it up, turned it over, and read the account of A Strange Story from Ipping, that the mariner at Port Stowe had spelt over so painfully to Mr. Marvel. Kemp read it swiftly. Wrapped up, said Kemp, disguised, hiding it, no one seems to have been aware of his misfortune. What the devil is his game? He dropped the paper and his eye went seeking. Ah, he said and caught up the St. James Gazette lying folded up as it arrived. Now we shall get to the truth, said Dr. Kemp. He rent the paper open. A couple of columns confronted him. An entire village in Sussex goes mad, was the heading. Good heavens, said Kemp, reading eagerly an incredulous account of the events in Ipping of the previous afternoon that have already been described. Over the leaf the Report in the morning paper had been reprinted. He reread it, ran through the street, striking right and left. Jaffers insensible, Mr. Huckster in great pain, still unable to describe what he saw. Painful humiliation, Vicar, woman ill with terror, window smashed. This extraordinary story, probably a fabrication. Too good not to print. Come, Grant. 
He dropped the paper and stared blankly in front of him. Probably a fabrication. My dude, the guy tackled you in your own room and then con coerced is the better word? Coerced you into clothing, feeding, and housing him for the night? Do you really think the story's a fabrication? He caught up the paper again and reread the whole business. But when does the tramp come in? Why the deuce was he chasing a tramp? He sat down abruptly on the surgical bench. He's not only invisible, he said, but he's mad, homicidal. You're just noticing this? When Dawn came to mingle its parlor with the lamplight and cigar smoke of the dining room, Kemp was still pacing up and down, trying to grasp the incredible. Well, yeah, it was 2 a.m. before you recognized there was a person in your house. And then you took care of him and then mulled over the unbelievable. He was altogether too excited to sleep. His servants, descending sleepily, discovered him and were inclined to think that overstudy had worked this ill on him. He gave them extraordinary but quite explicit instructions to lay breakfast for two in the Belvedere study and then to confine themselves to the basement and ground floor. Then he continued to pace the dining room until the morning's paper came. That had much to say and little to tell beyond the confirmation of the evening before and a very badly written account of another remarkable tale from Port Burdock. This gave Kemp the essence of the happenings of the Jolly Cricketers and the name of Marvel. He has made me keep with him 24 hours, Marvel testified. Certain minor facts were added to the Ipping story, notably the cutting of the village telegraph wire. But there was nothing to throw light on the connection between the Invisible Man and the Tramp. For Mr. Marvel had supplied no information about the three books or the money with which he was lined. The incredulous tone had vanished and a shoal of reporters and inquirers were already at work elaborating the matter. Kemp read every scrap of the report and sent his housemate out to get every one of the papers she could. These he also devoured. He is invisible, he said. And it reads like rage growing to mania. The things he may do. The things he may do. And he's upstairs, free as the air. What on earth ought I to do? For instance, would it be a breach of faith if... No. He went to a little untidy desk in the corner and began a note. He tore this up, half written, and wrote another. He read it over and considered it. Then he took an envelope and addressed it to... Colonel Aide, Port Burdock. The invisible man awoke even as Kemp was doing this. He awoke in an evil temper. Does that really surprise anyone? And Kemp, alert for every sound, heard his pattering feet rush suddenly across the bedroom overhead. Then a chair was flung over and the washstand tumbler smashed. Those were expensive. He really has no dignity... Kemp hurried upstairs and rapped eagerly. And because I've prattled on so long about what's in the stories, 
We shall begin again with chapter 19 next time. I hope you enjoyed it and that my tangents weren't too rambly. If you liked it, please hit that subscribe button, like, and review it. Um, especially on Apple Podcasts, that helps boost my ratings and get more people to listen to my insanity. You can also leave voice messages at anchor.fm forward slash tangents on cracked spines. I have a Facebook page called Tangents on Cracked Spines Book Club where you can converse, leave suggestions, and vote on the next story to be read. Right now, uh, it's what is my holiday special going to be, and seeing as I haven't gotten any other suggestions, right now it's going to be uh, the story of the Christmas spider. You can also visit me personally on Instagram or TikTok at FrankieCore92, that's F-R-A-N-K-I-E-C-O-R-E-9-2. Thank you all, and I'll meet you here next time.